Mike. Love it how I part of Mike. You believe part is mine. We got award season. Grammys. We got this uh this podcast thing really working out taking it back i don't think um <laughs> i think i think at this point it's illegal to do a rick or morty impression on a pod yeah it's it's too it's too done you get arrested okay. hello welcome to we bought a mic a pop culture podcast mm-hmm. you could say keep it going it's the only pop culture podcast I don't think there are any other ones. You could say that. You, you could, would be yeah. lying. You could really but... say almost anything. You could also uh, say a fun mix of uh, healthy banter and careful, critical analysis. Mm-hmm. I'm Ernest Calderon. I am whew, still riding off of serotonin rush, Hunter Mobley. Um, Hunter, Hunter just jacked off in front of us. Um, I'm, I'm Drew. I never and stopped. Pers- personally, I believe Pod is a woman. And so is Hunter's shirt right now. You want to tell the listeners? All right. Well, I'll get more into it uh, later in the podcast. So you have something to look forward to. But I am currently wearing a Ariana Grande sweetener slash thank you next tour t-shirt. It has Ariana Grande's face on it. She is eating uh, like a piece of chocolate or something, and uh, she is really eating. That yeah, piece she of getting chocolate. into that. Uh, she giving them uh, them fuck you eyes, Ernest. Turn avert your eyes, okay? I, don't I can't staring at my gut all night. Yeah, um, everyone's looking at Hunter's gut and getting horny all yeah. the time now. Mm. Finally, this, <laughs> this is a horny shirt. Um, well, today on the show we're doing some catch up. Definitely going to be uh, talking some Ariana Grande because Hunter saw her live, uh, and catching up on Watchmen. But before that. We got some nominations, nominations, uh, the Grammys, and first, the Independent Spirit Awards dropped their nominations, and if you've been following along with the podcast, you know that's a big deal, because we're doing a fantasy film league, mm-hmm. and this is the first lowdown of points mm-hmm. for our fantasy film league. So this is a big deal, um, if you care at all. You uh, should know that Harry, friend of the pod, is in the lead. I thought Colin squeaked out the lead. Okay, yeah. So now that Ford versus Ferrari has passed $50 million at the box office, Colin has squeaked out the lead. Wow. But after these nominations were announced, um, really the two, for our league, the two movies that clocked in a bunch of points were The Lighthouse Mm -hmm. and... I think Honey Boy was the other one. So if we want to run down some of these nominations, um, I think Honey Boy and The Lighthouse both got five nominations each. Mm -hmm. And it was a big night for, uh, or not big night, but big uh, announcement. (laughs) Big for (laughs) late morning announcement. Yeah, for A24. Um, Yeah, in total they got 18 nominations. Wow. I mean, that's A24 like owns the Spirit Awards, which is why in recent years I've kind of found myself more interested in the movies that are independent Spirit Award movies than the Oscars themselves. 
just because usually they're better and not like award fodder. Um, Good uh, night for Netflix too with uh, Marriage Story. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna give a shout out to Marriage Story. It got best feature along with a few others, but um, very notably, it got the award, the Robert Altman Award for the best ensemble. Hell yeah! Which is uh, for whatever reason given out before the award show. Yeah, I guess it's not like it's not like how they do in like the SAG where they like actually award like they nominate a few different groups for them. There's mm-hmm. like uh, we'll just tell you right now um, this is the best uh, a couple of awards that they do that i really like and i wish more award shows would do it is best first feature and best first yeah. screenplay mm-hmm. i think eighth grade scored this one last year yeah it did and that was i mean you know you need to get some recognition if it's your first like it's like a rookie of the year award in mm-hmm. every single sport like this is a. Uh, it's worth it's worth noting and worth celebrating when someone comes right out the gate like guns blazing like that's you know that's a cool award to give out so we got Booksmart is in there and the last man in san francisco is in there hell yes and the other ones i'm not familiar with any of the other none films. of them i'm also super excited for my guy jonathan majors in the last black man in san francisco i'm telling you this guy is going to be around like this guy in three years he's going to be nominated for a best actor award in the yeah Oscars. he was fantastic he's in that film. so good in a movie that i i really love that movie event for its problems also another five-time nom this year is uncut gems which none of us pick Popped nobody off. in I, the league picked this movie i i was still so happy to see this i'm so i was telling you guys off mic that this between like this and marriage story are like the two movies that like i am just i will give you like a hundred dollars yeah. to see these movies like this is, right now this is my number one i'm ready to inject this shit in my yeah. bloodstream i watched this trailer i've probably seen this trailer like 25 times not that much of an exaggeration because now they play it before every movie yeah. too yeah. come on come on and give, I, give me another chance <laughs> Man, what is this with Mike hard? Francesa and yeah. everybody in there. KG, um, I, this is going to pop. This, I, I mean, this. the thing is, the Safdie brothers, did they get any nominations even for Good Time? I don't think so. Um, And that was an amazing movie, so we didn't really have much reason to expect them to get it now. Um, But we're glad that they did, because I can almost guarantee you this is going to be a very good movie. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, and they're very good directors. Also, uh, The Farewell. Yeah. Got some love. Glad to see the farewell. Got I th- three noms. I think that That's out of the movie. movies that are nominated for the Spirits, they're most likely to contend for Oscars. Definitely Marriage Story. Yeah. And then the farewell has a solid outside chance between Lulu Wong and um, just kind of maybe a, if they expand, if it's a big be- best picture race, if they have like 10 films nominated, then it could have a chance of squeaking in. Also, Jennifer... Lopez, yeah, that's big. Is running our indie queen, <laughs> my favorite indie artist. I can't believe she got it, but she did. I mean, she she's going for it. Good for her. Uh, she's I'll, incredible. Also, I already mentioned it, but the lighthouse. You truly do love to see it. Mm-hmm. Robert Cin- cinematography nomination. Yeah, yeah, that I think that's a big deal I, because that means that. Um, it's it's real. Like the appreciation for this movie is sincere and the the look of this movie is unlike anything else. Yeah, I would imagine that the lighthouse would do well at like the guild awards yeah. mm-hmm. because it's Sound. such it's such a bizarre uh feature that just to see it 
put on screen is a delight if you're like a movie type person you know that like i feel like the people in the specific guilds would be like listen this is my shit so back to good time for a second it actually did get nominated for um robert pattinson directing oh um supporting oh let's go okay uh supporting female and editing it didn't win anything though what jennifer jason lee no um the the younger girl yes they come across talia webster okay okay yeah um well good for good time yeah uh on uh the lighthouse and best cinematography i'm glad to see it represented i think that you're right about the whole it could get some guild award love i don't think it'll really win much of anything but another thing that's nominated in this category that i think kind of got snubbed is uh powell pogorzelski yeah you got it (laughs) pogorzelski For Midsommar. Who, uh, yeah, directed Midsommar. I thought that this was going to get a little bit more love. There's no Ari Aster here. Yeah, there, not a ton. No Florence Pugh, which I think is just what happened? a shame. I think that, I mean, I've heard some people have theorized that they think that she has a really good shot of being nominated for Little Women. Because mm. apparently she's like the big le- the big supporting actress in that movie. I just don't get why. I guess A24 just threw all of their support behind Uncut Gems because Uncut Gems and Give me Lighthouse. Give me oh yeah, gems. yeah, Lighthouse of course cuz uh Waves also kind of shut out here. Yeah. Yeah, it, this this hurts my list. It will make sense <laughs> for Uncut Gems to get a push because it's the only one that can still very much benefit from press, you know, as opposed to <laughs> movies that have come and gone like yeah. Midsommar. Um, That's a great point. Yeah, but also, damn, I uh, wish I had known that fucking Good Time had been nominated that that uh, generously since that movie was. I I can't say for sure that it was like more risky, but as a debut film, that's definitely more risky than uh, Uncut Gems mm-hmm. because now we they're an established product. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait for Uncut. <laughs> like I just, it's all I want. We're gonna have think an about. Uncut Gems party whenever this movie that comes trailer out. is it's nutty. You know, Adam already saw it. Yeah, I know, I know and he I, called it a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, also, gotta mention um, Shia LaBeouf and Willem Dafoe both in there for supporting. Um, hoping Dafoe gets it, could push him for Oscar gold. Um, that would be truly incredible. Also, this movie is, um, I think, might still be in my top 10. Have to reconfigure things, but Apollo 11, the documentary, got a, a nom here. Mm-hmm. I think it's a phenomenal movie. I'm glad it's getting love. Um, I was surprised that I don't know I don't know the rules for how much money like how much a movie has to be made for or anything like to be that. Considered but I, I was I was really surprised that Diego Maradona wasn't on here because I think that that has a really really good shot at winning if not be at least being nominated for best documentary at the Oscars. Maybe it like crossed whatever the threshold is because I I really don't know what it is because I feel like Midsommar had like a decent budget behind it. Marriage Story has to have a decent budget for that cast. So Honey Boy has a lot here. Um, That's surprised me at least. Like that was a wild card for me. Yeah, that that movie is still kind of a wild card right now. It's only just sort of creeping up in the conversation as a true contender. Are we going to be able to see it? Well, yeah, it'll, I'm, I'm it's sure it'll eventually come out to like at least a limited release. I mean, I think part of the problem is that it's starting to get late in the award season, and just not a lot of people have seen it because it mostly just screened at uh, at the festivals this yeah. year. Well, you have to be in and the then, theater with Shia. Yeah, he's watching a, a marathon of Honey Boy. At like the Chinese theater in LA, it's actually just a play, and you just watch him like beat the shit out of himself. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Woof! 
Yeah. Uh, also, High Flying Bird got a single nom for screenplay. So I I would be cool. I would Good be screenplay. more bummed out that it didn't get more love because that is like one of my favorite movies of the year. I really, really love that of, movie, but I'm just happy. I didn't think it was going to get anything. Yeah, the thing is, I kind of like it like on a personal level more than I like it objectively. You know, as I think a it's movie. one of the best Soderbergh movies of the decade, really. I mean, yeah, fair enough. I mean, his um, decade's been kind of... I just, like, I didn't see that movie and think awards, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I exactly. liked it a lot. Um, oh, when, like, the NBA award for best NBA movie. <laughs> well... That's the Spirit Award noms. I think they happen in February. They happen the day before the Oscars. Oh, okay. So late February. Indie, indie Saturday and Oscar Sunday. Yeah. Because I mean, that's. I hope that they get uh, Mulaney and Kroll back again for that third year in a row. That was, that's that's well, another reason that I. Yeah, love... I think it was Aubrey Plaza last year. Ugh. Was it? Yeah. I, I know I saw it two years ago, and the two of them together is it was just. Amazing. Did you like, know, why did can't you guys, we have anything uh, like that for the Oscar presentation? I actually have some big news about Aubrey Plaza. Um, April Ludgate is literally me. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and that's T. I took a quiz. I found out. Oh, man. Um, so we, unfortunately, we do have to talk about the Grammys. I, I hate the Grammys. Um, they, yeah. The, the thing is, I was, I was talking about this, I think, with Friend of the Pod, Danny. Uh, with uh, movie awards, it's a lot more likely that those can sway the public's interest in a certain movie because to pay to go see a movie in theaters or even to pay to see it at home is an investment of money and time, even if you don't have to pay. Um, so to see an, a movie get heralded like on television might actually make you, okay, I should probably check it out. With music, you can just put on music. Right. And, and like we all have access to all the music on earth. We don't need a TV show to tell us what to and listen to anymore. Be, you can be active doing other things. You know, it's yeah. not as much of an yeah, investment. Yeah, it's passive. It's less time. It's so easy that why would we need an academy to tell us what is good, especially when music is such it for me it's even more of a feeling based uh medium than film is. Like for me personally, I it's, think for a lot of people, it's the most subjective of any yeah. art form. So I, I just, I just really don't like this show. I don't like their broadcast ever. Like I've seen Lady Antebellum enough on TV. It's crazy that they're still here's even around. A, here's a question: Are there any artists that get nominated for Grammys that are actually truly? Uh, do they think that it is a crucial thing for their careers at this point well, in 2019? I, I think that it means less for like whoever wins album of the year than it does for breakthrough artist. I think that breakthrough artist is like the one thing that's like kind of still good about the Grammys because like I think that this year I think that's going to be like Billie Eilish will get it. But like in a lot of years where it's more kind of is up in the though? year. Lil Nas? Lil Nas Lizzo. Lizzo. Oh, I forgot that. I haven't even looked. To be uh, honest, I haven't even looked. Lizzo's the in there. But it's that does kind of mark, even just getting nominated kind of marks like uh, you've arrived in the culture. Right. Like in the conversation at large. It's crazy. Three of those artists are all nominated for record of the year and they're also breakout yeah. artists um i have a question why is there record of the year and song of the year when the record is a song yeah it doesn't make any so sense. explain the, this the to me right now the nominees is the difference so yeah but song, why why are there two different categories for song of the year because the record industry is fucked it, no it's just such a nonsensical thing no one under the age of like 35 can tell you the difference between a song that is uh one song and a record that is one song it's absolutely... I guess it's like single of the year versus song of well, the year. Well, the, the record of the year nomination, are they're nominating the producers. And the song of the year is nominating just the is, artist. Is that it? 
yeah. the, the producers get credit for record. The, yeah. Okay. Well, th- someone they should have that entire paragraph in <laughs> in the award name. Yeah. Game call it, or just call it like the Rick Rubin Award for outstanding production or some bullshit. Yeah. Like seriously, because uh, it sucks. I hate it, and especially when there's so much overlap in the two categories. It's like why do we? Why are we here? Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I know the award show doesn't mean anything. Hey, last but year there is there is a there's some good albums for albums of the year. Uh, Lana Del Rey, Norman fucking Rockwell is a perfect album. I love that album unabashedly. I don't know why the song Norman fucking Rockwell is nominated for song of the year when that's not the poppiest. And that's also like kind of on the bottom half of the album. Mm. Granted, it's a perfect album, so I wouldn't really well, change anything also, about it. But her, her chances I would say are solid because Casey Musgraves won big last year and um, they're very different artists, but they do, they have a similar uh, fan base for sure. Like a similar kind of sensibility. to. Don't them. you dare fucking put Lana Del Rey our angel in the same breath as Casey Musgraves. Casey Musgraves is my angel. I'm going to call it her. now. I think Lil Nas is going to win album of the year. Mm. For seven for album, an EP. <laughs> album. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a long EP. It's but like, like uh, it's not the album of the, I mean, I guess. Yeah, but this is all fucked. I mean, yeah, it, that would just be a funny thing to give him when you can give him awards that are for one song. Right. When it like, that's his thing is the one. I mean, like the, I like Panini and has, all, but. has Vampire Weekend ever won Album of the Year? Because they could give it to them. No, that I feel perfect. like they probably won Rock Album of the Year for like Modern Vampires or maybe some stuff in their earlier catalog. But I mean, that'd be cool. It depends on the what the voters are thinking because that album is very much like a love letter to music, yeah. like a lot of d- different decades of music. A lot. The the last time I remember the Grammys being truly great or relevant is when they gave Album of the Year to a rock band. When Arcade Fire won mm-hmm. for the suburbs, that was an amazing moment. That was huge. That was sick. And, and that the year amazing. later, they uh, they gave the rap album of the year to Macklemore, not to Kendrick. Kendrick. They yeah. freaked a it. Year year later, <laughs> Grammys freaked it. It's just it's an, such an irrelevant thing when the, really what the kids be listening to is a bunch of shit we haven't TikTok. even heard of. It's like yeah, it's it's TikTokers. They should give uh, award to the best lip sync. You know, man, I wish that you could have just waited a little bit for me to transition off of that because uh, we actually saw a famous TikToker at the Arnold no Grande show last nope. night. Oh, yeah, geez. I don't know the dude's name, but I, oh, reckon, damn it. I like I saw him. and I was like, this dude looks vaguely familiar. And I was like, why do I know? Like me and guy were like, why do we know this guy? He kept waving at people. At first, I was like, oh, maybe he comes into like place where we work or something like that but then uh we like asked like a group of like 13 year olds next to us and they're like oh he's a big tiktoker i was like i hate that i know that hey a couple a couple uh noms to shout out before we move on from this Brittany howard for best rock performance yeah that'd History be nice repeats um could have seen her more often in this list if i'm honest yeah. like for real incredible uh, album tyler the creator igor best rap album i think that'll probably win did you win for flower boy I don't think so. Oh, did he not? Maybe it was just nominated. I don't know. It all blends together for me. Anderson YBN, it's this is actually really big for YBN Corday. Yeah, like, this is to to get this nomination actually is pretty big for his career. I'd say. Pac for R and B album. That's cool. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of garbage on here. We don't um, have to get. There's oh, also good. so many goddamn awards. I just keep scrolling, yeah, and they don't even have all of ridiculous. the awards on here. They're like uh, best spoken word album. Michelle that's Obama sold dude. at the top of a mountain that you have to <laughs> climb yourself. You know who I'm happy for? Uh, DaBaby. I actually love DaBaby. 
This this man is he's going. He's going to be on hey, SNL. Hey, uh, he's going. Week. Yeah, he is. He's going places. This is interesting. Uh, best score soundtrack for visual media. Uh, Avengers Endgame. Huh. HBO's Chernobyl. Uh, Game of Thrones season eight. Mm-hmm. The Lion King and Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> Lion King's going to win. It's Beyonce. They want Beyonce to go up on stage. It's, it's Hans Zimmer, though. It's the score. Oh, it's the score. Okay. Beyonce it's not the is soundtrack. nominated in a separate category for The Lion King. <laughs> for that song that sucks. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. I mean, there are, plenty, like, there are plenty of good artists on here. It's just a matter of... Tom York's Doesn't Anima matter. is nominated for Best Boxed or Special Limited Edition Package. Yo, guys, Tool is nominated for Best Metal Performance. Yeah. So is Killswitch Engage. Remember them from whenever you were in this middle school? This is my curse. When, it doesn't matter how old you were, you listened to them whenever you were in middle school. Well, they so run Guitar Hero 3 yeah. as a bonus song, lest we forget, you know. Um Best rock song, yeah, Tool, uh, the 1975. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. That's so funny. We've got guns in our petticoats. <laughs> All right, well, I think we can. Well, there put is a, a there is a, one other uh, thing that I wanted to shout out um, on this list here. Um, a it little goes nominee. The, it goes in the best uh, pop duo slash group performance, and that is a combo of Ariana Grande and The Social House. And their song Boyfriend, really great song. And it just so happens that I happened to see both of them last night. Really? Yeah, Social House opened up for them. Great show. Uh. I had never listened to the Social House before. Are you familiar with Social House at nope, all? Nope, never. It's like a rap duo, but they're like kind of like more on the smoother hip-hop side of R&B. things. Uh, not like full-on R&B. Like they are still hip-hop, but really uh, never listened to them before. And... They were a really good show. Um, like a great opener for the crowd, getting everybody hyped up. Um, this was at Amway Arena in Orlando, Florida, last night. Uh, I should say, only like an hour away from Ariana Grande's hometown in Boca. That's right. Very, um, very cool to know. Yeah, just want to <laughs> just want to give a little insight for the so, Boca Raton. Last night, Raton. guys, I saw God, mm. and it turns out. That God is a woman. Wow. Um, I'm not using hyperbole or anything like that whenever I say this. I've been to a lot of fucking concerts, guys. This is like easily my top 10 concerts I've ever been to in my life. Oh, wow. Like, I was blown the fuck away. Like, I didn't plan on buying a $40 t shirt while I was there, but I was so blown away by everything about this show. Of course, Ariana Grande has, like, the voice of an angel. I mean, she is a Broadway performer. Like, she knows how to put on a performance, and she knows how to sing live. Um, It was the setup, the stage design, and everything was so cool. They came out, like, from... Uh, through like a trap door on this like Last Supper style table with her and like all of her backup dancers and then just went off into like all these backup dancers were like some of the best dancers I've ever seen in my life and she had this live band with her. Let me tell you, this drummer in this band did not have to go as hard as he did. Like they have Ariana Grande leading her, but this dude is putting like the sweetest fucking drum fills and everything in every Ariana Grande song. And I want her to do a live album so bad just so I can hear 
this live band, the way that they she performed some of her songs, they would uh, kind of stretch them out a little bit more for either uh, some stage performances or just to let the band riff. Um, there's a song in the... The whole set was with a live band? Yes. Oh, yeah. The, uh, awesome. There's a song... Um, uh, the light is coming off of thank you next that uh, there's just like the bassist was just fucking going in slapping that fucking bass for this song. Um, it was probably some of the best use of um, like backing vocals, like using a track to sing on for some of her stuff that I've ever heard because that almost having a little bit of a backing, like it was more soft, but that almost acted as a, a, the melody and that she could just harmonize and just fucking sing out to and also it led so that people could sing along while she's doing like full on like stage dancing and stuff like elaborate routines out there on the stage um damn it was I was blown away for the concert they had like it was really cool um leading up to it because it I don't know why more artists don't do this of course Ariana Grande at this point has a big back catalog and she's like, I play all the songs everybody wants to hear. So before in between social house and Ariana Grande going on, they played a bunch of Ariana Grande songs. Like if you're there like to DJ. see this artist, don't you want to hear the music by them instead of just like listening to whatever the fuck beforehand. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. And then played a few Ariana Grande songs and the song right before she came out that they played was dang by Mac Miller. Yeah, and then it like it got me a little bit choked oof. up, like hearing. it. I mean, that song's a bop. Though. It, it is, like, it is a bop, but it's still like just hearing that about like a couple going through a fight, yeah. and then she came out there and right, like as the song ended, she sang "Raindrops," the first song off of the Sweetener. It's like this mm. very tender song that's like just acapella, just her singing. And then after the show, she played uh, Pete Davidson yelling at UCF students <laughs> yeah. to get off their of phones. Right. Um, now, I mean, the stage design in general was really cool. How they had it set up, um, they had this, like, giant ball kind of overneath the pit area, um, and then they had, like, this bulb thing in the background. The way For different songs, it would kind of change what it is. Like, at one point, um, I got, like, a good photo of it. They, like, projected the moon onto this orb, so it's like she's, like, serenading, like, singing out to the moon. Mm -hmm. It's... Was just I was just blown away by how great of a concert this was. I I mean I think that I mean you guys I don't know if you have any other nominees that you want to put for this. I think that she is the best pop singer of our generation. Mm. I mean whenever you think about it, like Mariah Carey is done at this point. Beyonce. I don't see. I don't consider her like. I guess she is more pop, but I think of her. I think that Ariana Grande has a better like just vocally. I think that Ariana Grande has a better voice her range is better than beyonce's range mm, i like beyonce might be a better like music maker i like her i like beyonce's maker. voice better but that's just a personal preference i guess um so is she a poc or not you know let's get down to brass tacks i think her family she, is from are italians people of color because if so oh, it's italian i am <laughs> She, I, I was mean, about to say, well, like, she, she's American, like, but. she's Mediterranean. I, I don't know if, if she's Italian or Greek or what exactly she is. Why well, you gotta make everything about race all the time? <laughs> Jesus, just pulling the fucking no, race card. I just total uh, like total Miles Garrett. Allison just over here. my girlfriend Allison just showed me this slow progression of her darkening her skin over the years, and it's it's crazy to see. Well, her family is like a little bit 
I, it, they're like kind of mixed. She did play like there's like kind of these little video interludes and stuff that they would play uh, that the band would like play some music to. And they had like some like baby videos of her and stuff like or not baby, but like her when she's like seven, just doing some like adorable Ariana Grande shit. Afterwards, after we came home, immediately came home, fired up Netflix and put on some Victorious. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that you show mean is Disney Plus. Uh, no, it's a Nick show. Oh, don't you dare! Throw you shit. mean Nickelodeon out, Plus? Um, out, uh, Victorious is a bad show. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. She's great in it, though. Uh, she's a, a killer. I just I. I, it telling you, like I spent a lot of money on these tickets. I didn't have to spend as much money as I did, but I did. And if Ariana Grande does come to your town, I feel like she's one of those artists that even if you're not the biggest fan of her, you see her live and it makes you a fan. And listeners, when Hunter says a lot, have that number in your head. That's not even close to the real amount. I paid keep, like five grand. Up. I played keep, like five. Keep going grand. up. <laughs> Five grand for like top of the yeah top yeah, of yeah. the arena. You were behind her. There you actually a, didn't see anything. I, I should have gone through the resale market. They were a lot cheaper there, but that's fine. That's that's another. You got to secure that whole other bag though. Um, this was also a delayed concert too, right? It was delayed, and I think that that's why it like had some kind of like specialness to it, and like she really even Ariana Grande got like really choked up, like kind Aww. of towards the end of the show, just because you could tell like she was just like. Ariana Grande is just, like, a great person, especially to her fans. Like, she always talks about, like, she's like, I really, like, I could not do this yeah. without fans. She I mean, struggles she, with her own, like, issues personally and everything else. The whole thing so with the attack that happened in yeah, England, it's, that must be fucking traumatizing, you know? Yeah, and I mean, keep it's... Going, and just that alone is enough to, to get you shaken. And then the just the struggle of having to tour the exhaustion that comes from doing a show over and over and over. Well, especially night. if you think about that, like she wrote Sweetener, which is a love letter to Pete Davidson. And then six months later, they break up like yeah. that's and to still like keep singing some of these songs. I mean, she's even said in public, like some of the songs on the album, like she just she can't play because it's like it's too much of like Damn. a fresh wound for her. Um, but yeah, I was another uh, cool thing that she did that she busted out um, for. Uh, since it's getting in the festive spirit, she did a medley of some of her Christmas songs. I guess she did a Christmas album from like Santa back in the tell day. Me yeah, you, Santa that's tell a, me. I mean, that that's is a great uh, song. It's it genuinely a great like fucking song. top tier. It's still below, of course, like all I want for Christmas is you. Well, but it's like second tier, like really good Christmas music. It's, I mean, it's yeah, it's a, it as far as like an original pop Christmas song goes, like that's mm -hmm. kind of as good as it gets. Um, I love the whole set list. I thought that it was a great mix. It was like really like eighty percent of it was just a mix of uh, Sweetener and Thank You Next. Yeah. I mean, those, those are a few, yeah, a few dangerous. That's what you want to see. A few yeah. Dangerous Woman songs in there, and I also love that album, Dangerous Woman. The only song that she didn't play that I really wanted to hear just because they had a live band was Bad Decisions because that mm -hmm. song just the fucking drum beat in that song goes hard so i just wanted to hear that with a live drummer i think she is working on a live album i'm pretty sure she like tweeted something about how she's been recording this tour and she just she's, she's like i'm gonna do a live it. album featuring bernie bernie's gonna do all the lyrics Yo, i'm just gonna do backing that amp me the fuck up <laughs> seeing that <laughs> seeing ariana grande and bernie Let's sanders go dude. like we fuck yes we live king, in our king society. and our queen of our time 
we live in a society in which that endorsement got uh, just about as many likes as there were viewers for the last debate. Actually, yeah, that's a real stat. Millions it's of insane. likes. Yeah, dude. Uh, whoever's running the Democratic Party, I know you're listening to We Bought a Mic. Yo, because get you're Ariana Grande the- to perform at yeah. the DNC. L- listen up, year. Epstein. <laughs> you, you gotta get Grande. Hillary. I know you're a fan of pop culture. You're very up with the times. You're just chilling in Cedar Rapids. <laughs> Is that what they call Epstein's mansion, Hillary? It's I know you vacation there. It's right there. It's right there. Bernie's the guy. Yeah. Like they See would rather this? kill themselves than have him I don't, be the nominee. I know. <laughs> I don't. That's the thing. You guys just talking about a bunch of uh, white dudes just uh, reminded me of another thing from the show. Um. Probably the biggest uh, men-to-women discrepancy I've ever seen in my life at a concert. So we just, Drew and I just recently went to Orlando Magic Game at this arena. And of course, you got to wait in a line to pee and everything else. I went to the bathroom. As soon as you walk in, not a goddamn soul in the men's bathroom. <laughs> Yo. Like, it was... In, it was like kind of spooky being in a room where there's like 40 fucking urinals and you're the only person very in there. shining oh it's man very i was just pee in all of them i did yeah I, I, I just peed on the floor i didn't know what to do that's awesome that's an experience it was epic i mean i'm glad you had a good time sounds uh i mean i she can sing live like she can really I, sing i mean she is a broadway performer like she can she knows how to fucking bring it all right well that is ariana grande's thank you next tour catch her wherever you may see her on her tour let's talk about a little show i like to call Mm -hmm. the watchman Mm -hmm. who watches the watchman us at we bought a mic we make that joke every week (laughs) until it's over wait wait do you do you guys want to do rick and morty first because i'm not caught up okay yeah well there aren't a ton of things to say about it i mean it's It's great it's on it's still a really good show um i think it's like it's not it's still not like top top tier rick and morty um, I think that this season is kind of off to a better start than last season is, though. I only saw the first episode and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. The first one was great. It I, was it was classic Rick and Morty in the way that it was like just so jam packed, you know, with the the Nazi stuff and the hologram Rick stuff and the Morty obsessed with Jessica. Like they just make the most out of everything that they Mm. can possibly cram into it Mm. i think that but i think that one thing that's good about this season is that they're getting away one thing i didn't like as much about last season was that became a little bit more traditional of a tv show where they're like here's an a plot here's a b plot and the best rick and morty was just so packed with stuff that you didn't even like realize that multiple storylines were happening at the same time Mm. i think that's one thing that i think that's one thing that this season's gotten better Two, I think, has been the weaker one so far. I still really enjoy that episode. Shout out to Taika as a little purple alien guy. I, I agree, though. Um, I laughed the least at that one. That one seemed... There are certain episodes, and this also includes last season, that you can you can feel that the writer is doing the, the Harmon voice when they write the script. Like, they're writing it in his image, but it's mm. not... Like, the Pickle Rick episode is what... That's that where like there's an a plot line that's like just silly goofy pickle and then there's a b plot line that's like deep psychology but it's like two op- it's like literally susan sarandon just telling them all their psychological problems you know yeah. like there's a there are multiple tiers of episodes and i think it boils down to the writer i can't prove it. i guess i could prove this if i wanted to but i mean deep. at this point the show is going gonna go for a hundred episodes like they're ordered they're happening and they need the room to help. Well, they have, I mean, they have 
like the writers room is a lot broader than it used to be. There yeah. are more writers and they cycle in and out. I mean, Nick Rutherford from Good Neighbor, yeah. writer on this season. Schraub is all up in there. Yeah, Schraub. Have you guys seen the Instagram posts of them like yeah. pulling post-it notes out of a pop yeah. box? Yeah, literally. Yeah, they have like a B story uh, like draw from a hat yeah. situation that Schraub wrote all of the B stories. It's <laughs> incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I won't, without spoiling anything, the third episode Honestly, in a way, it might be my favorite of the season. It's an anti-heist episode. It's a it's like a as, if oceans you, If parody. you're a person who like nice. loves yeah. heist That's movies, awesome. like if you like watching like something like um, like the oceans movies or um, just any of the great classic heist movies. Yeah. So do, like do, did they pull out an in a uh, post-it note that said Ocean's Eleven parody? <laughs> I don't know, but they this was like high-level uh, parody stuff. Sometimes mm. it got. I mean, there were points where it was a little bit tiresome, but it had certain scenes that, like the the montage of the randomness heist, yes. was that was one of the best Rick and Morty scenes ever. There's some like, really that good. Was top there's ten. Th- it's also just like some good one liners in there. Like there's a great David Lynch joke in mm-hmm. this episode that I just I it hit me yeah. in a certain spot <laughs> that I really loved. I gotta say, uh, if Dan and Justin, if you don't want to be seen as like how some people view you in your show maybe don't uh put elon musk on it if i'm honest yeah, elon that's musk not is the best um, first of all not elon tusk first of all not good at reading lines because he's not an actor he's just a guy. oh it's literally him he, he, he voices oh no yeah no and, don't do that well and he is literally like what like the stereotype of Rick, like epic reddit bacon sauce you know like he's like that personified and they just threw him in there just like they did last year with logic where it was like honest, okay this I is j- epic i watched know? the episode today and i already forgot that he was even a part of the episode but i mean he doesn't like hold back the episode overall it's, it's just, just like you bit. see him and you roll your eyes a little bit he's in a, a decent amount. he doesn't have a ton of lines which is good because he is not good at uh, being <laughs> yeah. a voice actor but i mean it's still a very well, good episode like f- uh, for, for real it's worth what's watching. worse though Having Elon Musk or having Logic on? I'd probably mm. take Elon Musk over Logic. Ask those uh, factory workers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys see the Cybertruck yeah, unveil? Cy- ask the Cybertruck. <laughs> that was some fucking insane dystopian shit. I, part of me kind of likes the way it looks, to be honest. Part it's of, a troll. Part, he's fucking with people. Par, part of me, like, like obviously it's really easy to clown on because it just looks like a child's drawing. But part of me is kind of like, it, you know, why not? I'd drive it. It, it looks Would like you? like a it looks yeah. like, like a hot like a Hot Wheels toy. It doesn't look like a, something that's real. Yeah, and also it doesn't uh, crumple on impact, meaning that you roll around and die in your car, and whoever you hit is like <laughs> mad dead. So that's I mean that's safety regulation stuff right there. You know, the the last thing I'll say is when we watched the first episode of Rick and Morty, I I realized that. Um, I, I went into it a little bit begrudgingly, a little, little kind of like, ah, more of the same. What, uh, what's the point? But more of the same of Rick and Morty is great. It's, it is truly one of those things where you, the further you get from having watched it, the the more your your image of it is not the actual show. It's yeah. like the perception. And the show itself remains good. It's like, steady. It's a, it's a really and the you know the peak ten out of ten Rick and Morty's are you know the best animated program on television I would say uh, I'm sure plenty of people would say BoJack but I say peak Rick and Morty is better than peak BoJack maybe BoJack has a uh, higher floor than Rick and Morty but I it's 
when it's when when it's in gear episode i think you're right yeah i don't know if i could go as far as like season because i mean bojack has like a continuous story so it's kind of weird to yeah it's just more like when rick and morty is like operating at at a high level it's so so good that i'm willing to forgive when there's some cringiness in there sometimes Mm. all right we got to talk Watchmen. we got to watch them (sighs) um we got two eps to cover episodes Five and six of Watchmen. Some pretty they kind of lead into each some other. Some pretty important bad. episodes. Yeah, I, don't don't skip eps of Watchmen. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> you like start episode one. You're like I found the newest one. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I am so blown away by this show. It is. I knew it was going to be great, but between these two episodes, it is just oh, Chef's kiss fantastic television and i love it so we have episode five looking glass character study mm-hmm. and then episode six the nostalgia uh trip overdose mm-hmm. so we got a lot to cover here but mm-hmm. let's start out with episode five thoughts on on the whole looking glass um even after watching six five is still my favorite of the whole show so far it's the most leftovers of all yeah episodes. very very leftovers um I've come to accept that there will be a slight amount of corn with any of these episodes. I'm still just racking my brain about this squid pro quo line. I still, <laughs> I, I still it is like fantastic. I'm still like, was it good? It's so good? Well, even bigger than that, because the episode it's itself. Coincidence. That's one where Damon Lindelof like gave himself a high five whenever he yeah. wrote that line. Um. Well, no, the bigger thing that I truly rolled my eyes at. Because after this, we're only going to talk positives, I'm pretty sure. But the fact that Spielberg's <laughs> Sp- Sp- Pale Horse. Spielberg's Schindler's List movie is yeah. about the squid attack and it's filmed in black and white and there's only one red dress or whatever. So I was funny. I was kind of like, ooh. I, that's a fine line to Dude. walk. That's a, You're comparing the Holocaust it's, to this. It's just, well, it's just more like, are they, do they want me to laugh? Because if so, like, I'll, I'll definitely laugh. But like... I, I couldn't that that just line out it kind of I didn't even roll my eyes I was just kind of like my eyebrows shot through the room well it's it's <laughs> supposed to be out you know a little out there but I think if you truly wanted to knock that aspect of the show it ties back to your whole uh illusion to bright and the mixed metaphors <laughs> yeah you know when when we first talked yeah, about I mean the that's show. always gonna be there for me a little bit well because, but because it's still so good this episode really opens up the pandora's box of the psychic squid attack and if you start to to look at what damon is trying to say in terms of symbolism and metaphors with the squid it's 9 11 mm-hmm. it's the holocaust mm-hmm. it's like government conspiracies in general mm-hmm. it's domestic terrorism mm-hmm. It's uh, gun violence. Well, it's, it's domestic terrorism that leads into the. It leads to the for the world to come together and end the conflict of the Cold War because they're like, yo, we have like galactic terrors happening yeah. right now. Like this is we can put this shit on hold about Cuba. But then when you get to the moment where Looking Glass finds out the truth with the with the Adrian Veidt video, it really makes you consider like. In our reality, imagine if all of those crazy conspiracy th- theories that people rave about in the darkest reaches of the internet. Imagine if somebody came out and said, like, oh, yeah, all of this is true. <laughs> well, I, there's, there's a deeper plot to I, everything. I knew that this had to happen at some point because I know that this is what happens in the Watchmen comics is that Adrian Veidt, like, creates this attack yeah. 
in order to save the world. But, like, I was really skeptical of how they were going to nail that and the actually next showing the squid well yeah, was, this is this we have to start from the beginning because this is one of the best cold opens in history yeah, yeah. of of any like me- some like, mormon boys <laughs> truly like it's jehovah's jehovah's witness yeah, oh, it's, yeah. it's like i said a couple weeks ago about lindelof when he's just dropping you somewhere that's the best right like that's easily his best that's a 10 out of 10 every time and he really is dropping you somewhere yeah and i i rewatched shit. the episode I've, I've actually seen both of these episodes twice and on a rewatch that opening is just it's amazing because you know that you're in for a character study and everything that is set up in that scene with wade and and looking glass and his character it's all there all of the trauma of what makes him who he is yeah everything tying to why he wears that mask and why he's obsessed with the squids and his mm-hmm. fears and his struggles with relationships and women. It's all in that moment of a fucking giant squid <laughs> being dropped on New York. I also, speaking to that about looking, looking Glass, I thought that this did a better job than a lot of other times Damon Lindelof's exposition goes as far as like explaining what the mask means. Yeah. They explain just enough for you to actually understand without just being like, do you see your mask is a reflection so that people can't see the true you on the inside? Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I was kind of worried whenever we got to that point, whenever he goes in there and has the whole uh, meeting with his boss and everything. I was like, oh no, we're going to well, get a clunky dialogue scene here. The reason it, it for me, it didn't, it worked really well as like not clunky is because they brought in Gene Smart to be a character who exclusively just cuts through shit. Yeah, because yeah. mirror guy. She does say a lot of what you just said, but she's an amazing actress and her character is amazing. So you're like, uh, this all tracks. It's not like it was just thrown in there. It's like, no, that's what the character would say is cut through it and like get to the exposition. To me, I uh, completely agree with that. But to me, it's even more than that because of how it's tying into the original comic and how Damon is using those threads to build on the original story from the book because... Gene Smart is playing Silk Spectre, who was a main character in the book. So we know that her past as a young woman yeah. was as a masked crime fighter. Yeah, in the Minutemen, right? The yeah, yeah. Watchmen, Minutemen, whatever they used to call themselves, because there were two teams. There was like the nineteen thirties oh, team, the Minutemen, and then the and then Watchmen. the seventy, the eighties, or yeah, seventies yeah, yeah. team. And so we know that. She's calling out this bullshit because she lived through it and she had to endure the outlaw of it and the the comedif- the the, the com- comedification of it mm-hmm. the le- legitimate what am I saying <laughs> the legitimification of it legitimate legitimate the legitimate legitimification the legitimizing yeah how they made it yeah they- we're all just trying to say where that isn't a word <laughs> legitimification like, well, let me, let me spell this in my head no that's they not a made word. it they made it a legal thing for them to wear yeah. masks and be uh, be vigilantes. Mm-hmm. And she sees these guys, Looking Glass, basically join the force just because they're allowing them to wear masks Mm -hmm. because of the white knight. All he wants to do is wear this fucking reflecting to, you know, cover himself from psychic blasts. She sees through that bullshit. Mm -hmm. He's also the perfect vehicle for exploring everything with the 7th Cavalry because he's somebody who... His trauma derives directly from this one event, 
And that's like this expanded the whole world to Seventh Cavalry because they're not just like Nazi white supremacists yeah. now. Like they clearly do still have like some real like racist roots in there, but they almost kind of they kind of caught me as like almost like alt right uh, like internet conspiracy culture. Oh, for sure. More so than like they are just like white supremacists, but now, which is a little bit of a different twist on it because I mean they're right. Yeah, like their conspiracy is correct. Right. It's more than just a conspiracy. And now. exactly, there's more to it. There's more to all of this like even as the show keeps revealing things and keeps giving us answers there's still so much we don't know we don't know exactly i mean now we know adrian uh Veidt is on a moon of jupiter mm-hmm. uh we know that much but we don't know how he got there we don't know why he's there we know he's been imprisoned in some way we don't know how lady true fits into all of this so that's the, the biggest question I have, even after episode six, is how, like, we still are not clear on her exact role. Well, in, I think that that's going to be, I didn't watch the screens for next week, but we can use that to transition to episode six, which episode six is my personal favorite of the season. It is one of the best things I've ever seen on I, TV. Well, I think that it is, because we knew, like, we talked about it before that this episode, like, this show is going to need a flashback at some yeah. point. And I thought that how they executed it was just perfect. The way that I like tried to look up this director who made this episode. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's directed like a few episodes of Lost and like a couple episodes of TV stuff, but never really done anything of note. But it's masterful how this is directed, yeah. how the faces are constantly mixing between um, color and black two, and white. Or... Well, the color <laughs> and black that does and white, happen sometimes. and then just kind of our two leads that we oh yeah regina king and and uh yeah the guy uh, yeah michael from the leftovers yeah Mm -hmm. love to see him Mm -hmm. we do love to see him he's all grown up now our our little boy just some incredible like long takes and how they had the camera position where it would like kind of pan over to him and then pan back to somebody and then pan back at somebody else the camera is always kind of floating it's very it's very dreamlike yeah it does really feel like you are on some kind of a drug whenever you're doing this yeah I love the whole concept of nostalgia being a drug. That's so fascinating. It's a fascinating idea. I also, I loved, I, we were talking, I think you said it um, on our group text, Ernest, about how like how this show is expanding the universe in yes. a way. And this does like the best job where it's like, oh, this person who you see, like everybody just assumes like this is just a white guy, some like mm-hmm. another white dude, Hood superhero, Hood of Justice. Well, that character existed <sighs> in the original book and the whole thing is that he was just the first one and nobody knew anything about him he always kept his hood on and nobody knew there were rumors of him having some sort of uh love relationship with captain metropolis uh but there was never anything else and damon he takes that and just runs with it and uses it to tell his new story of race and racial violence and sexuality yeah and all of these themes that are new in this show that didn't really that weren't really prominent in the book but then weaving them into the original story that alan moore uh created so you would know better than us since you've read it um because i've seen takes from certain people who think that this is like a disgrace to alan moore and like what he believes like just on an idealistic level not even the quality like they like I've seen plenty of people say things like uh, 
Alan Moore, his main focus was that authority in general, and especially authority with the mask, is being a Nazi, not this like mixed thing of like, well, maybe I, maybe they're good, maybe they're, you know what I mean? Are those well, the same people that wanted to remake the Last Jedi because <laughs> all their toys weren't in the positions that they? No, they're in? not. They're not saying uh, it's uh, too woke. They're saying it's not woke enough. Almost. I think I think it is a genius move to make Hooded Justice a black man. I think it's genius because Alan Moore never told Hooded Justice's story. He left that untouched. He told the stories of all of these other heroes. And the the Watchmen book doesn't even focus on that original team as much. It's all about Rorschach and Dr. Manhattan mm-hmm. and Night Owl. All of these new guys that haven't really popped up at all in the show. Um, and to, to really go in on Hooded Justice, it's like he saw an opportunity with a character that was kind of just relegated to the backdrop and 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 just the the tapestry of this world and brought him to the front, forefront and and gave us this amazing origin story and tied him as the grandfather of the main character of this yeah, show. Is he great grandfather or grandfather? One of those. Yeah, cuz he's like like impossibly old in Yeah, the he's show. like 104 or yeah, something he's, like that. But it just Story things aside, the craft and the filmmaking of this episode is unreal. I mean, you already mentioned some of these yeah. long takes, and, we, and we've known that Stop Lindelof it. does dreams good. Yeah, he did. I mean, the leftovers dream the inter- are like yeah, iconic. Exactly, International Assassin. This is. I don't think that that anything will top that. Yeah, that's still like. I mean, this that's is, top five episodes I've ever seen. Of yeah, this is not <laughs> that good, but it's not trying to replicate. No, it's it. a whole different. I mean, this like I you know like I always say this is. Something like, even though it doesn't, he invented a tie-in, so it's yeah. not like a predisposed tie-in. Like he created it, but it's not just like this free-floating, insane fucking episode of TV, right? You know, this it actually matters a lot moving forward. Like we learned a lot this episode. It has to do we a gen- lot. Yeah, we had to learn a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, it, it's like I've been saying he can be sloppy with exposition, but this was an example of him giving us a whole episode of sh- showing for the most part, and not, the, not the just show, telling us. The show still has to be digestible for people that never read the book and that aren't as into like breaking it apart and analyzing it. You know, I think that's why there are moments that feel a little bit too heavy handed. You know, there are like certain inserts where yeah, like, it still has it's that for making me for it sure. very blatant that you <laughs> understand it. Like there's that moment where they're talking, they're looking at the Superman comic and it flashes back to his, to the first scene of the show. That's clearly a riff on yeah, and Superman. It's like, hmm. yeah. it's like, yeah, like we know, <laughs> we get it. But-, and, but it's like, it's like we've been talking about though. Like this is more than, this has more weight than the leftovers, not just in terms of the IP. Cause that's not the thing. The thing is, this is. Uh, they need it to be like closer to a tentpole show, not full on like a Game of Thrones, but they need it to carry more heft than I, the leftovers. I mean, they do still like Damon does put trust in the audience to a certain degree. I mean, one would just the style, the stylization <laughs> of the episode alone, but also waiting until we're over halfway through the season to reveal that there is some kind of a like ip connection to our lead mm-hmm. most shows that would be established by the end of the pilot mm-hmm. like it'd be like you are the granddaughter of the first superhero <laughs> like that's how it would have been 
marketed and right. sold, but he trusts you to just be like along for the ride. Well, yeah, that you can wait until we're over halfway through the season to actually reveal that piece yeah, of information. That I think that's ultimately like how I feel exactly. Like there are like despite whatever like bothers me a little bit about the show, there are just like maybe I could count on one hand the amount of people who are willing to withhold like such important information until like mid season, like it not like probably like five people even have that clout to do that. Like Mm -hmm. Mike sure had that with the good place season one where like he had built up enough respect that he could actually wait till the finale to give us right. Like Lindelof is on that level where like he is willing and able to like just sit on something. And there's still more to come. (laughs) Yeah. We still don't know shit. We haven't seen Dr. Manhattan. I, I mean, honestly, there's only three episodes left. I don't know how Dr. Manhattan could fold into this story. I, I think that'll be a finale four thing episodes, almost. right? No. It's only nine it's episodes only nine. this season? Oh, I thought it was ten. Yeah, yeah, this this brings up a concern, which apparently Damon is not uh, like ready to go for a second season. Which What does this mean? I don't know, dude. What does this mean, Damon? Come on. Like... I uh, don't you, it, just give him time. Don't HBO. Don't rush it. Like, please. He is telling a hell of a story. And if he leaves it all on the table one season and done, that is admirable as fuck. But there I feel like there's going to be a lot of meat left on the bone. There's so much here. Oh, I mean, like you guys said, like we haven't even gotten to Lady True. Who and is like, like a big time. Obviously, uh, I think I think that next episode might be a big Lady True episode because oh, as definitely. Angela wakes up, she is in Lady True's space. Yeah. Well, so. we need we need more of Ozymandias. We need more Adrian Veidt because there, it, that storyline has been just kind of like very slowly developed. And I love how it's been done. Like every time we touch base on what he's up to it's the right amount of progression mm. yeah not just, too much yeah, not yeah. too little it's, it's still fun it, like it still has that thing of just this is awesome whenever yeah. i see him i'm like oh my god and jeremy irons and, and oh, sh- we didn't even talk about him getting like shot into the sky yeah. in the last episode yeah, that's <laughs> when we found out he was on on some jupiter moon yeah, or something. yeah, yeah you're well right. is he on it or did he just get shot to it because oh, it, it was like true. a portal it's... thing it wasn't like he got shot into oh, wow. yeah that was a straight portal like because he got That's yanked back yeah, yeah yeah it's like i mean he's using the portals that the other uh seventh cowboys yeah, i think yeah, like i think he's on earth but he went to a moon of a planet and he uh laid down like a million dead bodies that <laughs> saved me <laughs> that was so awesome yeah but anyway um like correct me if i'm wrong but do we know why lady true and the great grandfather have a relationship yet because that, no. that is such a big question. Well, why we have to know assume that, that she is tied up like that? The true family is somehow connected to like the heroes of old or something. Like yeah, that. it's just it's the biggest question you could possibly have. Like, why does he know her? Why is he consulting Lady True about how to approach Regina King? Like, that's so bizarre. Well, there's, there's a lot of threads here because on one hand, we have the whole Seventh Cavalry and what they're planning. And then everything with the the um what's her name regina king um angela she was supposed to find the nostalgia pills mm-hmm. yeah. like they planted those yeah they wanted her to get them and yeah. take them yeah and they wanted and they wanted her to see what happened to the chief you know cuz they they take the time mm-hmm. to explain that the the memories are extracted and put in a pill form so that had to be very deliberately yeah. given to her for her to see 
yeah. what what happened to the chief being hung, uh, hanging himself. Yeah, the, all of those memories in particular. Were exactly. Chosen. So there he just is took them all at once. There is something <laughs> happening there that is somehow going to tie into the seventh Calvary and what Lady True is doing with that big structure building uh, yeah. clock, whatever. I mean, I'm I'm excited for whatever yeah. it is. It's the, wild. The only other thing I wanted to mention about the um the big um episode six is the action sequences the way it's it's all done yeah, it's really very well choreographed very frenetic and and just visceral and the whole uh, the the way that the actual lynching is put together is so affecting to have to be in the first person view of a guy being hung up on a tree is something that is very tough to to conceive of and put on a tv show and they nailed it i think they did a great job of it and it's so so tough mm. but yeah. it has to be i mean it's really affecting i think you're right. i did also i did want to shout out the uh the choreography because i was talking before about how like there are a lot of long takes and there's just some like sequences in here where they just don't cut of just this dude just yeah. like fucking people yeah. up strangling that one cop at the end yeah it's with I, the projection is just incredible mm. big shouts uh glenn fleshler who is oh, oh yeah. from barry yeah. oh yeah yeah like, he's he cool he's very understated and i think that the episode needed a little bit of that and he really brought it like he slayed it yeah i'm a fan of that guy yeah i i thought that these two episodes were amazing that sixth one is just something that will definitely go in the in the hall of fame of of tv because it's just it was just so different it was so uh, unique and creative and the way it was not just like visually ambitious but also thematically ambitious and with all of the exposition that it had to throw at you and just seeing hooded justice fuck up kkk guys <laughs> god great. damn you it's fucking great. love to see it it's, great. it's fantastic all right, I think well, we can I mean, wrap it up there. Yeah, you could say like some shows need a bottle episode, some shows need a bottle of nostalgia episode. Mm. Holding on to that one. If I was not a bottle episode for anyone who thinks otherwise, who? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, no way, no way. All right, well, we'll be talking more about Watchmen as it rounds out its uh, season and. Uh, also, we have uh, Irishman next week. So Irishman, look forward to that. Uh, check out our review of Knives Out. And hit us up on social media, Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that shit. Email us at webottomike at gmail.com. And please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Recommend it to your friends. Stay tuned. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye.